community that we want to do that. So it is great to see you here Memorial Weekend. Uh, you know, obviously, my heart's been heavy, and on many of you, what's happened this week, and, and even in the prayer I had for our own school district, if you didn't know, there was a lockdown on Thursday in our district, and just so many families and children affected by that and still affected by that. That's the world we live in and where we're at. And so more than ever, right, the hope of Jesus and community and relationships all matter so much. So thanks for being here. If you're new with us, can we, maybe you're out here camping in, in the weekend or staying in a timeshare and you found us here. We're glad to have you. And if you're online, welcome today, this morning, if you're here on Sunday morning or maybe you're watching this at another time during the week, we're glad with us. We're doing a, we're kind of wrapping up a, a, a little series, and I actually struggled a little bit this week. I'm like, oh Lord, this, does this really match what's going on in our world and everything? And I just, I got reassured again as we talk about joy that, as we'll get into a little bit, is is that, that joy isn't something that we conjure up. It's not something that we force to happen, as we'll talk about that. Because our series we've been going through is uh, the joy of a generous life. And I, I've said it over and over in this series is that there's just been times that we've received, I know you have too, of people that have been incredibly generous to us. And it's not so much just like lavished us with luxury or anything like that, but small expressions of generosity where someone went out of the way, inconvenienced themselves to just care about you. There's something special when even you get a text from somebody who says, hey, I'm thinking about you today, I'm praying for you. Today. Last Sunday evening, we got invited to a, a group of people that we used to do, some of them we used to have small group together with them. And they said, we know that on Sunday evenings, you and Christy serve our students on Sunday night with the youth. Would you mind if we, if we bumped it a little bit earlier in the evening and, you know, in late afternoon, and we, we, we'd love to have you over for dinner, and we'd love to connect with you. And it was such a a great time. They, they adjusted their schedule for us. They, they included us in their, their time together, and, and, and it felt so, I don't know, just so special, like that they thought of us that way. And then just yesterday, one of the ladies in, our, in, our, in, the, in the small group, the group of friends we were part of, said, hey, we're thinking about it. What if we switched our night for our small group so that you, could, you and Christy could attend? And you, or Chrissy got that message that you and Dan can attend. And, and we thought about it a little bit like, yeah, we can make that, that night work. It actually was a night that, but they, here's this whole group shifting their efforts toward us. And I thought, man, that so speaks of the, the level of generosity people go. And I, I've been, I don't know about you, I've found that generous people are joyful people. When we, when there's a little twinkle in your eye. When we were gathered with them that night, they were all just smiling and excited that we were there. They, 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 had, a, they, they had a little spring in their step about it and, and getting us about it because they're learning the, the, the secret of joy is that it's never really been in the, the getting. It's in the getting, isn't it? We, we know that in our lives. We experience that so much over and over. And that's really what this series has been about. But I want to, I want to uh, continue with this thought we've had throughout is that we've been learning that this principle that open hands, open hearts. 
That's what they were doing when they opened their hands and, and gestured toward generosity. It seems like their hearts were open, and guess what? Our hearts were open. And I, I've found that the, the most generous hands end up really opening up some of the hardest of hearts. It, you, it's hard to get around niceness. It's hard to get around generosity. Like, you have to be pretty hard-hearted. And sometimes people are hard-hearted, and you keep being generous, you keep being generous, be generous, and they still don't get it. And then finally, after so much of wearing down, you finally see a crack in their shield that they put up. You find a little, you find a little, you know, little gap in their armor around their heart. They go, oh, there is a, there's a human being that lives in there. <laughs> there's someone that does, that does matter to them. It takes a lot of work. That's a, that's a work of generosity. But I, I was thinking about this whole thing about experiencing joy, because we all want it, right? We all want joy. But it's interesting how we describe joy. A lot of times we describe joy as being filled with joy. We express oh, I was just filled with joy. It's a feeling that, that we get. I, I don't know anybody that has ever says, you know what, I, I'm going to go out and get some joy today. I'm going after joy today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull it off the shelf. I'm going to, you know, click on it. It's getting shipped to me in a couple days. No, nobody, nobody, you can't order joy to happen in your life. And, and we don't pursue joy. We, we're only filled by it. But we do pursue happiness. And I would say happiness is, is, is somewhat also, it said, as a state of mind. I mean, come on, don't you appreciate this guy here? Come on. That's an attitude right there. I want to be that guy. Third place. Come on. Let's shoot for third place. God's number one. Everybody else is number two. Let's go for third, right? That is an attitude. But I've found that the happiness is, even the very word, it's, it, it has, it, it's happenstance. Happening is when we're happy. But where do we find joy? Because pursuing happiness could be this endless cycle that you're never grasping. You're like, you're trying to grab, af grab after it, and you can't get a hold of it. And in what ends up is, what we're wanting out of happiness and, and what really joy is, is it, it, simultaneously, we want, we want meaningfulness to our life. We want purpose to our life where that, that happens. And, and I was thinking about how to land our, our series today, and I went back to reflecting on where someone seemed to be chasing after happiness and came up empty and finally discovered really what matters, really defined joy. And you know who I thought of in the Bible was King Solomon. And I want to land the series today how Solomon was so candid about his pursuit of happiness, and specifically in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he uses this phrase over and over. He uses common phrases that we're going to look at. But one of those, he says, I, I chased everything under the sun. I went after everything that the world can offer me to find meaning. God offered Solomon, of course, at the beginning of his life, his young king, his career, was he was pursuing the Lord. He sought after the Lord, and the Lord says, Solomon, you know what? I'm going to offer you something. I'm going to give you, it's almost like a genie in a bottle. Like, I'm going to give you one wish, one prayer to be answered. And you know what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. The problem with Solomon is he never pursued that wisdom. He had wise moments, as we have our wisdom literatures, as we call it, but what we find in the wisdom of Solomon is, is what not to do is the wisdom. And he lived that 
out. And so when we reflect on the end of his life and, and his, his, his memoirs, as we look back, we find a theme that's there is, is really what's life like without God. And what he says, it's like meaninglessness. It's like a vapor, a mist. It's, he, calls it, he calls it just vanity. It's all surfacy. It doesn't really have any kind of substance. See, Solomon, if you read the first four chapters of Ecclesiastes, he writes and he talks about different things he pursued. He, he pursued wisdom. He wrote in chapter 1, I devoted myself to studying to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. When heavy, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. It was overwhelming. And, and, and he pursued intellect, you know, study biology and philosophy and sociology and all the ologies, and he came up empty. He, he, he chased after wine, pleasure, he, laughter, foolish behavior. In chapter 2, he writes, I, I thought my heart come now. I will test with pleasure to find out what is good. Solomon partied with the best of him and the worst of him. He, he, he got wasted, he ate, he drank, and tomorrow you'll die. He experienced hangovers and one, regrets of one-night stands, and he came up empty. Well, what else would you pursue? Well, as some do, they pursue work. Work is going to bring me meaning. I, I, over, I overtook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Solomon built one of the largest kingdoms in the ancient world. He poured into it, and he felt empty even at that, at that success level. And then he pursued wealth. He says, I amazed in, in, in silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kingdom and provinces. I deny myself nothing my eyes desired. And what did he have at the end of that? Nothing, not anything, still nothing. He chased after worldly relationships. Scripture says he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. That's a lot of wives and a lot of mother-in-laws. He chased after, I know, he chased after wisdom, wine, work, wealth, worldly relationships, and I'm sure there's other W's you could fill in there, and left him empty. Now, we could look at that and go, Solomon, you had it all, man. You blew it all. What happened? Well, we could all do that. I bet, in, I bet in this room, or if you're watching online, I bet there's a few of us say you chased after human wisdom. You might have degrees that are so like your name and all these different degrees next to you. And, and, and how have you felt in getting all those degrees? Maybe accomplishment, but maybe you even feel like there's more to life than that. Maybe you've drowned your sorrows and waking up Saturday morning going, what did I do with that? Maybe you burden yourself with work and just found fatigue, weariness, and emptiness, and all you could do is watch a little bit more Netflix and go to bed to it and then start it all over again. Do it all over again, right? This conveyor belt, there's not more. There's not more, more there is, but you find that's empty. You've maybe chased after almighty dollar. You've, you've, you've hungered. It's just never satisfied you. There's some in this room, and maybe you're watching online, that you, you had pursued pleasure. You, you, you pursued sex that was outside the, the bounds and the commitment of marriage, both not only just with your body, but with your mind. And you went in a direction. It took you in a place, and it left you with so much shame and so much regret and just feel cheap and alone. Here's what's interesting. Our consumer culture teaches us to chase 
is part of the normal part of happiness. You've got to go after it. But, but Solomon keeps, kept saying this over and over again. In fact, he says it seven times in the book of Ecclesiastes, this. He said in chapter 1, chapter 2, in, in, in chapter 4, in chapter 6, he says this. Meaningless, a chasing after the wind. We had some, we've had a, like a really not great spring, okay? It's just it's been windy and cold, and, 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 and I, I, I'm sure you've had times, I maybe you've been in a parking lot where you purchase something. I don't know why it's Costco that happens to me because there's not sacks and groceries and stuff. I'll have my, oh, you, keep, you take your receipt, you know, you walk out your stuff with your receipt. And I found in windy days sometimes, if I'm still holding my receipt, it'll slip out of my hand and it'll blow away. Okay? And I've had, a ch- you ever chased after something like a receipt and like as soon as you get there, it, it blows away? Like what's with that? That seems to be like life. We're just at the place to get it and it, it keeps going. We're chasing, chasing. Let me just ask, what are, you, what are you chasing after? What is it you're looking for? A few years ago, Chase Bank, the, 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 the ad campaign was this. It was, they called it, you can get, it's the freedom card, Right? And it had this, this phrase that says, chase freedom. You get it? Chase freedom. What Chase was offering actually was selling financial slavery under the banner of freedom. <laughs> chase freedom, yes! Just keep swiping that card, and, you know, and you're going to have the end of the day. And so chasing freedom, guess what? That, that was their slogan, and it's also the devil's slogan as well. Solomon concluded been there, done that, have the t-shirt to prove it. All meaningless. So the question then is, the question then is, begs it, well then what? Kind of listed everything there. What else? Well, I think it comes down to one word. And that's worship. Listen to Solomon's advice. After chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, after all those W's, came up empty, chased after the freedom card. This is what he says. He gives us some advice. And I think it's wonderful advice to land this series and finding joy in living a generous life. He said this, guard your steps. Chapter 1. Guard your steps. Chapter 5. Guard your steps. When you go to the house of God, go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what what they've done wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven. You are in earth. Let your words be few. What Psalm is saying, I just, I sense my reading of this and understanding for myself and maybe for you is this is this that that we need to step back a bit we need to evaluate a bit we need to we need to go kind of zoom out of what we really and why we're really chasing after what we're pursuing because at the end of the day whatever that is is our worship it is the object of our worship whatever that might be our lives in a sense what happens when we're chasing after whatever else before God in this chase is we get, we get so drowned in the urgent that we miss what's so, so important. 
We're drowning in responsibilities and ever-increasing distractions that there is really little space to take and stop and be in awe of God. Look at, look at verse 3. He says, A dream comes when there's many cares. So it's hard for us because I'm a dreamer. I'm an achiever. I want to go to the next. I'm like, that's great. Let's move on. And, and, and he's saying, when you do that, and there's nothing wrong with ambition, there's nothing wrong with having a drive. Don't get me wrong, and I'm a driver, okay? But what I found is if I keep chasing after what's next, I'm missing the moments. I'm missing the opportunity that God has before me. And what we do is we get caught up in this worry and stress and demands and everything in life. And the old classic, The Tyranny of the Urgent, which is a book by Charles Himmel, says, he says it this way. He says, your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important. So you need to evaluate what are the things that are just screaming at you. And is there something that we need to go, what is really, truly important? And it comes down our priority of focus. What really matters? What really is there? And so what's, what Solomon found is, and, is, and gives us practical advice is, he actually addresses two areas of our life that can help us in our ultimate worship and being in awe of God and make it all about him and not about us. And in moving into this life of, of not selfishness and consumerism, of, we've talked about of scarcity, but to move into the uh, abundance mindset of what God has and this gift he has for us. And two things. Practical advice in, in true worship. And, and so our, this is our thought for today. Our worship is revealed through our words and our wealth. Solomon gives some practical advice we're going to look at here. Go back to Solomon. It says it's in your words and in your wealth. It's in your, it's in your tongue and it's in your treasure. It's in your mouth and it's in your money. Okay? It, it's in these, specifically in these areas that he addresses that really connect to that. You've heard, put your money where your mouth is. I'm going further, put your, your mouth and your money where your heart is. Now, how do we do that? Here's some, here's some thoughts. You can write these notes in here to remind us. First is this, to do that, we need to, it's choosing, it's choosing quality over quantity of our words. It is choosing quality over quantity of our words. He, he, you know, let, he said, let our words be few. And then he says in, in verse 3, he says, many words mark the speech of a fool. I, you don't have to raise your hand. I will admit, I have said the dumbest things ever in the world. I am what you call a verbal thinker, okay? If it smells in a room, you're going to hear from me. It stinks in here, okay? Now, where is the source of that? That could be a very offending to the people around you, okay? That could be a very offending to the person that's cooking, okay? That could be very offending to the person, you know, whatever they're doing, okay? You know, it, there is like, so I'm a verbal thinker, so I'll throw out ideas, Almost like you, you test spaghetti, whether it's cooked, if it sticks to the wall, okay? And if it doesn't, like, oh, that's a bad idea. Like, oh, what, you know. It, and I, I've got myself over and over trouble, okay? I have been criticized to be talking more than listening. Hello, I'm a preacher, okay? That just happens, right? But I'm sure maybe for you too, there's things you're like, ah. I regret more of what I said than I, than I didn't say. King Solomon, his wisdom, he says in Proverbs, he says, a, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adores knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish gushes with folly. It's not so much what you said many times, it's how you reacted to what others had said. Hello, huh? So important, right? 
be filled. I tell you, the people that I know, the people that I look up to, the people, the wise people, when there's a moment when you hear them talk, because they don't talk a lot, the wise people, you heard that when they do, everybody goes, they lean in a little bit. Oh, yeah, I want to be that person. Quantity is not always best. Quality, be careful what you say. Another thing with our mouth is then not only be careful what you say, but commit to what you say you will do. Look at verse 4 and 5. Worshiping with words. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Super practical, right? I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And that's a commitment to people. Yeah, I'll be there at this time. If I'm not, I'm going to, you know, text. I'm a little bit late, right? And I'm not going to blow people off. I'm not going to blow commitments. I'm going to follow through. I want to be that type of person. But I'm also challenged with when I sing songs off the wall here in church and I declare, Lord, I love you. I'm looking to you for my vision and my life, for your vision in my life. And then I go out in my week and live nothing what I sang out there. That is also it's, it's dangerous. It's, it's cheap words that lead to hypocrisy. Somehow I can be committed to this and I declare it and somehow have spiritual amnesia on Monday morning. God so declares for us to keep his word. He goes on, he says this. He says, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Fear God. He says, he, he says that, you know, you speak God's name. It's not just in vain or gossiping or speaking negativity. It's saying you're going to do something, saying to declare it to the Lord you're going to do it and not do it. Making a vow to even to the Lord is, 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 is really, well, I mean, you know, words are powerfully positive and they can be just terribly destructive what we do and what we say and what we're committed to say. James reminds us of our words are like fire. They're, they're, they're like you can have a warm bonfire or a raging forest fire. He says this, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who has been made in, in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. My brothers, sisters, this should not be. And yet it happens all the time. We say nice to the person we see and then we talk bad about them behind their back later on we're all guilty of that we all our words in our heart there needs to be an alignment there so the question is ask yourself are my words worthy of worship to god not just on the sundays but every day every day i go and it's so vital to this because because we need to remind us jesus said this being wise over the words out of the abundance of heart our mouth speaks so we have to look at like i'm if i'm saying these things where is it really coming from it's connected to the heart the heart is the issue that is the issue. That's the issue in our world and all that's happened in our week. It's the issue in our own lives. To be wise with our words, but also this in a practical way is to be wise with our wealth. See, looking at our money, our mouth and our money. Speaking money says the more, basically the thought is this. You've heard this. more you have, the more you want. You know, we've all maybe gone on a diet, you know, and you, you might be on Weight Watchers and, you know, like one potato chip, you probably don't have to put a point for that. But the whole bag, you kind of blew it for the day, didn't you, right? It's hard just not to say one, to eat, or not just to eat one. It's this craving that we had. Uh, credit card, 
car, you know, credit karma, I looked it up. I was wondering what the average debt of a, cons- uh, a credit card is for average person in America. It's, I, I thought this was, I thought this was kind of lower. It was only, it's only $5,500 a person. Add that up with a couple, you know, two people in a family, that's, it's close to, it's close to $11,000. The average person in America has, a family has $11,000 or $12,000 in, in debt. That's a lot of consumer debt. You know, that's not a house, that's not a car, that's just a credit card. And I say all that is in the, in the, in the chasing after that it's not freedom at all. And so what do we do? Well, this is Solomon says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And our chasing after, what happens is we're not only chasing after what we think we have, but we'll look over to the person that's also ahead of us and go, wait a second, I want that too. Wait, wait, I want that over there. They've got that. They're over there. That, And what happens is this, this comparison, uh, C.S. Lewis says this, he says, comparison is the thief of joy. And we're just consuming, consuming. We're like, I, I, I want that, and we don't, it's never enough. And it just ends up meaningless. Another thing to know this is the more you have, the more people want to take. <laughs> well, welcome to parenthood, right? You remember those, you know, it's like, I, I, I usually, my children, like, hey, can I have a dollar? Can I have a five? I'm like, I conveniently do not have cash on me. That's, that's what I used to say to my kids. Uh, but it's true. Like, my, my, I've said this a few times before. My, my, my mom, she was a beautician. One of her customers in the early 80s won $13 million in the Washington State Lotto, which I think she ended up getting, like, they take about half back, which is interesting. But they, about $6, 7000000 million. It's still a lot of money nowadays, right? You know, I'll take that. Well, maybe not, because for her, later on in her life, she told me about I said, How, how's it? And she goes, oh, she's so bitter and lonely. What happened was everybody wanted a piece of her a nest egg of her money. And she, she was so, separated herself so, and she died bitter and alone. Money is great, but it does things to people. Not just the people that have it, the people that want yours, and, and it really, at the end, it's not yours. It's God's. So Solomon, what he's saying is, he goes on in verse 11, he says, as goods increase... So does those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Maybe you, maybe you hit it big in Vegas. Whoa, look what I got. Look what we have, okay? Now it's, you gotta count it up at some point, right? But if that's our focus on what we have, look at the worth of our friendship is priceless. Let's not let anything get in the way of it. Another thing about money is this. The more you have, the more you worry about it. That, there was just a few years ago, we had four people in our family, and we owned five cars. We're not rich. They're all old cars, okay? But we each were a driver, and then my, my aunt passed away, and she, I got inherited a, a beautiful 2000 Mercedes-Benz fire engine red, okay? Um, if nothing screams like retirement in Florida, this car would, right? And so, you know, I, my, our neighbors, I don't know if they really, they never complain, like, you always seem like have company over your house. No, we're just all home, okay? And, and so, five cars, meant five sets of tires, five cars to insurance, to insurance five, re- guess who took care of all the repairs of all those cars, and now we're kind of downsizing here a little bit. What happens is this, the more you have, the more you, demands of you, 
right? You want more response to me, more? Well, guess, listen, verse 12, this is what he says. Uh, Psalmist puts it this way, the sleeper of a laborer is sweet. Whenever they eat, little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them not to sleep. If you are in management, if you are a boss, if you are owner of something, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Some of us dream. Sometimes I just dream of just being a, a Subway sandwich artist, you know, and I'm, but the problem is I'll probably dream of how making the sandwich place better. That's my only problem with that. We all have responsibilities in that. And so when we're focused so much on that, we have to be careful. Listen, I know it's first world problems we have. You know, it drives us to worry, to seek more stability, reducing risk, and all that goes on. But how we handle it is a perspective. We have to go, God, if, am I being, my possessions, are they possessing me? And they become idols more of this whole worshiping with what I have and the wealth I have is, is not in the way of, of my worship of you. Finally is this, the more you have, the more prone you are to greed. And Solomon says this, he says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, okay? We've all watched hoarders, okay? We've all seen people going, I don't think you need all that, and you don't need to keep everything that you have. And yet people, we find that over and over again. If you do want to win the lottery, just so you know, they found statistically, if you win it, you're, in five years, you're going to be alone, broke, or dead. Just so you know. How, so keep buying those tickets. I'm not sure about that. Um, everything we have, it, 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 if you get it so fast, there's a, win, there's a, there's a windfall that happens. We have, whether you're greedy poor or greedy rich, it, it, it was stockpiling. It was, it's all about fear that happens. And we've talked about this over and over. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And it is connected, as I said before. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So where your wallet, it's connected to your heart. Your purse is connected to your heart, ladies. It, you know, but also our mouth is connected to our heart, too. What comes out of it, right? It's invisible, this visible line. It all comes down to what we worship. And what we worship is what's near and dear towards us. So I'm going to wrap up talking about money and, mouth, and our mouth, our, our tongue and our, and our treasure, our, our words and our wealth, whatever you want to say, these, these go together of this, okay, Amber Alert. Our sinful heart truly is going back to God's heart. And so Solomon finishes this with, sums it all up, and it's so powerful. He says this, Behold, when I look to see to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil in which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone who also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, he's, what does he say? This is the gift from God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied, and here it is, with joy in his heart. What is he saying? Is that the gift that we have is not in the possessions, it's not in the things, and not in we go out. The gift is coming to this place and rejoicing that all that we have is a gift from God. 
And we have it in what leads to this beautiful thing called joy. What Solomon's saying is what will satisfy our soul will not be, it will not be what's in our wallet, will not be having a full stomach, it will not be a full portfolio. It comes down to this joy that we have. Now, where does that leave us with joy? It's something that we can't produce, we can't manufacture, we just simply have to receive it. But I would tell you this, it's a choice that we have. It's, it, there is a choice in choosing joy. Paul says it this way, rejoice in the Lord always, then I again I say rejoice. <laughs> two, two times in one verse, rejoice. Why to remember that? To remember every single day that when we wake up, and if we do what Solomon says, that every day our life is a gift from God, we can wake up with joy. We can wake up with what we have and we'd be satisfied with what we have. It's a hard thing to do because we go after the chase very quickly. I did this this morning. I was in, my wife was like, whoa, where are you, man? You're just on the run. You're on the chase. And I was doing that. And I was just like, Lord, oh, I'm not going to do this. And we do this all the time. And I love the word rejoices because it's a choice in rejoicing. And in rejoice, it's really almost like re-upping in joy every single day of our life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I says rejoice. You know, re, rejoice. You know, th- you know that that th- it's a it's a re-upping of joy, rejoying each and every day, and then we choose that in our lives, not just with our our words, not just, but, but also with our wealth, with what we have that we that we give over to God. We're going to prepare here in a moment. Invite Chris to come and. We're going to have communion together. I should have mentioned that earlier. If you're online right now, it might be a great opportunity for you to, to grab something in your kitchen, juice or cracker or whatever, and we're going to re- receive today. And so our team's going to go ahead and pass them out. They're going to go ahead and start right now, and they're going to be giving you communion. And as you receive them today, as soon as you have them, go ahead and open up your cracker and your juice and just be ready. Just hold them in place as we take this time to remember this weekend of Memorial Weekend, remember the people that gone before us, the people that sacrificed for us, but ultimately remember the one who truly, truly did. And as we, we, I want you to just think about in your life where your joy is coming from. I want you to think about what, what is really producing the joy? And what I mean by that is nothing that you can do to produce it, but where is it truly coming from? Where are you experiencing it? I want to just encourage you what we heard from the entire life of Solomon in just a few minutes. You can't, pursue, you can't pursue it. You can't, you can't pursue it. You only can receive it. And it comes as a gift from God. What you're holding in your hands is a symbol of that very gift. I don't know if you, uh, it's been on for a few years, but there's a, I love, I love this, I, I only watch a couple episodes and then I got it, but it's a show called um, Maria Kondo, Tidying Up with Maria Kondo, and she's on Netflix, and so I don't know if it's still on, but it, it basically this sweet, very quiet Japanese woman they almost call her the clutter whisperer. She'll come in your house and she'll she'll get a vibe, I guess, of what's going on with it. It's a little a little different, but she'll she'll ask this question, 
Some of you know the question is, if you don't know what to get rid of, because you'll work with hoarders, work with people, like, you got to get, I, I would go in there, I, I'd be opposite of Maria, I'm like, get clean this junk up, right? And she's like, calm down. And she just asked this question, she asked this question, you know, hold up whatever it is. Maybe it's a, your favorite sweater, or whatever it is, you had it 25 years, it's like, does it spark joy? You know, and it's a good question, does it, no, it doesn't, let's get rid, let's get rid of it. I'm going to, I'm going to flip the question a little bit. I'm going to flip the question. What can you give away this week that will spark joy? What do you need to give away, not keep, that will bring joy? If we truly live open-handed, it'll open our heart. And when we live open-handed, it'll open the hearts of so many different people. What do you have in your hand that you can give away? Maybe it is a garage clean-out. Maybe it's having a yard sale with a group of friends in your small group in your neighborhood. And you know what? Let's just give all the proceeds away to a great cause. Maybe it's with your time. You know, i got to have my me time. Yeah, you're probably having a lot more me time than you think. What if you had a, a we time? What if you had a time for others? Wouldn't that spark some joy? This is something that you have that you're holding on to. Some way, somehow, even this is the weirdest thing about unforgiveness, is it somehow brings some kind of comfort and peace, but it is, it is the bondage card. It's not the freedom card. And it's letting go. And one of the most generous things you could do, not just for the person to forgive, that you need to forgive, for yourself to be freed, the most generous thing you do for yourself is to let it go. Life is a gift. Our very eternal life we have is a gift and it's all tied with joy it's all tied with joy the Bible says that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross he recognized that open hands open hearts it was the night that Jesus was betrayed that he held the bread, held, held it up. And he says, this is a gift, basically. This, this gift of my body is to be broken for all of mankind and to be put to death so that you might have this gift of life that I'm offering. Eat in remembrance. Let's remember that sacrifice today. Thank you for your body, broken for us, that we can have life. Later on in the supper, he held up the cup. The cup was this new agreement that he made, he's making with mankind. He said, my shed blood, my, my blood is to bring forgiveness to all mankind. You can't think of a more generous offering of your very self, your very blood to be shed for another. And Jesus did that for all of us. Let's remember his forgiveness of our sins through the shed blood on the cross together. Let's drink together. Father, this has been a heavy week. It's been a heavy week and all that we've gone through. It might be a heavy week personally for some that are holding on to so much. 
I would pray for all of us in this room and those that are watching online, recognize this. It's easier, easier said than done that with our, with our mouth and with our money, with our words and our, with our wealth, with our tongue and with our treasure, all we are to give and to worship to you. All that we have, all that we, that we possess over to you. And the reason we can do that is because Jesus, you did it all for us. You are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And that pathway toward freedom and that, that, that quest for happiness will, will not what we find and what we need to receive is the joy that you already gave us on the cross for us. And this new life, not only dying for our sins, but raised to new life, that we could live this resurrected, free life that you've given us all through you. And this ultimate generosity. So Lord, now we, through your open hands and sacrifice on the cross, we can be open-handed and open-hearted toward all, Lord, you want to do in us and through us. That's where joy comes from. And then it's in the giving. It's in the letting go. It's in that freedom. May you lead us in that as we lead others in that. To find freedom, find forgiveness, and find true joy this week in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name.